Let me take a couple seconds. We'll talk about Anchor. Are you like me and you've thought about trying a podcast for a while? Either you just like talking into a microphone or you got something to say you just want to let out into the world or, you know, you've always wanted to do something with a friend. Okay. Anchor's the way to go. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. So you know it's definitely in your budget. I know money to get going can be an issue. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Really make it pretty easy peasy, which if you're like me and you don't know what you're doing, it's right in your wheelhouse. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more outlets. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It really doesn't get any simpler. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. And we are up, and this is Beacon Road Show. I am your host, Rich Levesque. Glad you can join us, whether live or on the replay or on the podcast. It's everywhere. And yeah, today it is my honor to introduce the amazing Eliza Rush, singer-songwriter extraordinaire. And uh, we're going to get into, you know, in a second, but let me just, at first, like I always do, just want to remind you that you're doing the best you can today with what you have to work with, whether it feels like it or not. You are enough and you matter. Please take extra special care of yourself today and every day. On Beacon Road Show, everything is intended to come back to this message and to wrap around this message because ultimately, we're all doing our best to be our best and to be seen and heard both by ourselves and by the world around us. The goal for this show is to honor that by speaking of how that works for us and how it can look. We'll share stories of how we're navigating that journey. We'll also talk about skills and tools that are available to help us along in our own journeys. And that's, that's the thing. There's no one way for anything. We each have to find what works for, for us in our own ways and on our own terms. Like all things, Treat this like a buffet table. Remember when we used to have those? Take what clicks, leave the rest. However you come about finding this little corner of the world, and in whatever way you use it, it's an honor to have you here. And let me tell you about Eliza Rush. Amazing singer-songwriter Eliza Rush is here, and I'm very excited about this. Classically trained and steeped in the rich musical culture of Canada, Eliza Rush is no stranger to performing, but is a relative newcomer to the acoustic scene in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. Pulling from all styles of music, she is a finder and interpreter of songs that beg to be shared 
Her hauntingly beautiful and evocative voice paints landscapes and songs. Reminiscent of Annie Haslam, Eliza takes a pop song or an old standard and makes it all her own. A blossoming songwriter, she will sprinkle in her originals while adeptly performing as an acoustic band, duo, or solo artist. When you see her perform, her voice and presence will pull you in. Glad to have you, my friend. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, I just want to, you know, throw in because I, I have to mention, I got to be a roadie I, for a while once. I hope you mention it more than once. So like anyone joining later gets to hear it too. Okay. Absolutely. I, I, was, I was honored to be Eliza's roadie in Pennsylvania one night. And it was just really, really cool. Now, Eliza was there with her band at the time doing an open mic. And like, you know, I got to go up and like, you know, move things around and when something dropped, I'd go pick it up. And it was just like the most exciting thing to me because, you know, I'd always kind of wanted to be a roadie and that was like my opportunity that I got to be one. And we're, yeah, my pages were falling off my music stand if I, if I remember that night. Yeah. Cause I think there was, I think there might've been like a circular thing going in the place uh, you were playing. Yeah. Yeah. And also that was the first night that I played with my now bass player that's right um, that was that was like that was like the first dance we did together um at at that open mic where he brought his bass i brought we had met before and spoken about playing together and working together um and uh that was the first time we like tried it like in real life and it was it was pretty exciting pretty fun oh that is awesome yes yeah, so um, you, you were the first you were the first person to hear me play with Josh Skirman, uh, my 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 now bass player, fabulous bass player. So, I was there when you were there when you sure were. That's a fun night. Hey, I'm um, looking on the chat. Hello, Elo. Good to see you. Thanks. Thank you for stopping by, my friend. Hey, Elo. And, <laughs> yeah, because I can kind of see the um. Yeah, I can see the comments. I don't know if you can see them as well. Is there? Yeah, there should be a screen on the on the right and then if you click on the top where it says comments i i can't see it at the same time as looking at us i either see us or i see the comments i have to oh see okay them. no worries all right then i'll make extra sure to keep a track on it as we go along yeah so um i heard a rumor there might be um you know, some music involved in there will be some and you know what mike just walked in the door so I don't know. I can start and and and. However, it needs to go. Yeah, we can. Um, I'll do, on. Uh, how about I do one? How about I do one for you now? Okay. And then maybe at the end we can do two if you don't object to that. I will not object. Okay. Yeah, I have to just turn myself around here. Do the hokey pokey and sorry. <laughs> I'm really nervous as fuck. It's all right. You're among friends here. And I made an egregious error. I don't have the strap on my guitar. Can you like talk for a minute while I run and get that? Yeah, no worries. Um, what I'll do is I'm going to throw up um, Eliza's information. Uh, her website is elizarushmusic.com. 
and also on the book, on the gram, and on the YouTube, all of which are at Eliza Rush Music. And now, of course, it wouldn't be a good podcast if I didn't, you know, promote myself as well. Uh, my website is beaconroad.net. And on beaconroad.net, you get my blog. And you know, there's mental health and emergency and wellness resources. And also you know, a shop with T-shirts and coffee mugs and cool goodies. And I can be you know, Beacon Road on Instagram and at Beacon Road, the number 10 on the Twitters and on the Facebook. And looks like Eliza is almost ready. Almost ready. Almost ready. Question is, when I do this in the microphone, are we good still for sound? I think we're okay. All right, should I go? Good, go for it. What do we got? This is, this is uh, so for a, a long time, I didn't believe that I could write songs. Uh, I have two, two degrees in music, classically trained, and uh, I was so afraid of doing it wrong uh, that I couldn't write, or I thought I couldn't write. And I, I didn't trust what would come out. And I wrote this um, guitar part and this melody uh, back in March. And I had uh, an entire Google document um, of ideas and phrases and thoughts that the song needed to be about. I just didn't trust that any of it would work. And it took a, a three-hour video call with a really good friend of mine who has uh, uh, written a plethora of songs. He's, a, he's quite the, the songwriter himself. And um, he sat with me on a, on a video chat on Messenger. And, uh, you know, he kind of had his own ideas of where the song was going to go until I started actually, he's like, wait, you have ideas? I'm like, yeah, I do. And I started reading him lines and phrases. He was like, good God, woman, the song is here. It's like, it's right in front of you. What the heck? And he just kind of, I don't know, pulled it out. It was already there, but helped put it together. Um, so I ended up with this song. It's called Daughter of the Sun. And uh, that's actually one of my favorites. Um, my friend who helped me write it, his name is Andrew Gunn. He's a very prolific songwriter, singer-songwriter. Check him out. I awaken in the silence from the violence of the night in the darkness. I can hear my spirit call. The earth is hopping up and I feel the dew stick to me. Stirring all around, I feel it rise from the ground. The more the rain caresses me, it dances on the moon's 
That was wonderful, uh, as I knew it would be. And I'm sitting here over here. I'm just like all fanboying and fanboying, huh? Yeah, totally fanboying. Um, yeah, the only thing I really feel like I'm missing is a lighter. One of those things that I, <laughs> one of those things I didn't completely think through when I quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Could you hear my words? Could you hear um, me standing? Yeah, I could. Um, and let's you know, talk about how we, you know, you really got to just chase in your passion. I know you've got a lot of history as a, um, you know, classically trained singer. You've done opera and a lot of, you know, I, you know, love to hear a little bit more about the, you know, the journey. I mean, I know some of it, but for, you know, folks at home listening and watching, is a pretty amazing story. Well, I'm glad you think so. Um, so yeah, like you said, I started out, um, 
I, I just always remember singing. I, I actually, my, my dad still probably has cassette tapes somewhere of me at age five recording myself singing. Like I'd press recording and be like, hi, my name is Eliza and I'm three. And this is my sister Andrea and she, or five, she's two and we're going to sing blah, you know? So singing was like always a thing. And, um, um, I decided to pursue music in, uh, after high school and university. Um, and I, I grew up in Canada and, uh, I actually, uh, really my dream was to be a concert pianist. Piano was my first love. And I had a, an injury to my wrist when I was 17 and it, I, I couldn't use my hand for an entire year. So when it came came around for like college music auditions. Like I, I couldn't, I hadn't been playing for a year. So I thought, well, maybe someone will let me in on voice. I'd never studied voice formally at, at this point in time. Um, maybe someone will let me in and, uh, um, and then, you know, in, in a year or two, I, I can switch back to piano. And uh, so I did, I, I got into, um, Queen's University in, in Kingston, Ontario as a, as a voice major and started studying voice and like absolutely fell in love with it, you know? Um, I mean, I had been singing all up until that time, but never formally trained in any way. So that sort of was the beginning of my formal voice training. Um, and I did that and I loved it. And um, after that, I actually started teaching um, life is, is so strange. I, I landed a middle school band teacher job in Toronto. Wow. And I was, and I, I had never played a band instrument before. And, and I, I, um, I was an itinerant teacher taught at anywhere from four to six schools a week, depending on the year. Um, and I did that for, for many years, but my, like my love really was choral music. Um, and, and so in, uh, let's see, it was the end of 2000, I had decided, you know, there was this program, uh, a graduate program in the United States that I was really interested in doing. And, and I decided, why not? What do I have to lose by applying for this program? Like, it, it seemed so far, it seemed so far out of my reach. Um, it was a, a master's degree in choral conducting at uh, Westminster Choir College in, in Princeton, New Jersey. And it just seemed such a ridiculous thought, but I was like, well, I'm your freaking middle school band teacher. What do you have to lose, you know? Um, so I, I applied for this degree and I was accepted. Um, I think they, they only took six people into the program and, and I was oh. one of those. Um, and, and I, those were the two best years of my life. Uh, I, I started that program in, in the fall of 2001. And, um, and yeah, so it was, um, it was amazing, life-changing. The people that I met, the experiences that I had, you know, the stuff that, that I got to do there was, was just mind-blowing. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. Um, and then, you know, uh, life you know, came along and, and I got married and I had two kids and I wasn't really doing much of anything um, except trying to survive. Um, hmm? 
my my kids and are that happens to a lot of us that's just kind of the nature of you know life kind of just takes over and that's you know it's natural to kind of get into that mindset well and it, my kids are real close in age uh 17 months apart and so it was just and and at the time you know their daddy he traveled for a living so i was alone a lot of the time when i was in a country where i had no family and no help and you know so i i just kind of forgot all about the things that made me me and all the things that that I love to do. I had to put them aside for for a period of time. And then, um, um, gosh, I don't remember what year it was that I, I started waking up. Um, it was when I met you all. What year was that? Heck. Um, I want to say it was 2017 because we right? known each other about a year when we all went to LA. So that, and that was two years ago. Were you there the first time in September? Um, no, no, I had come to the big one at the Dolby and the next In June summer. of 2018. Okay, so it was September of 2017 for me. That's when that's when things started changing for me. And, and, I, and I went out to LA then. And and I was at this, you know, conference. And, and I remember saying to somebody, um, you know, I thought I was, you know, I thought I had my shit all together. And, and uh, I, I remember saying at the time, you know, oh, if I, my husband at the time, he is my biggest hurdle. You know, if only, you know, whatever that thought was. And this person that I had literally just met, we were standing in a lunch line, he turned around and poked me in the shoulder, looked me in the eye. And he said, you are your biggest hurdle. And, and I remember thinking, okay, maybe, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but um, that, that kind of stuck with me. And, and, you know, I had a, what I realized over that, that weekend was that I had a great deal of difficulty um, expressing my needs and, and my wants. And, uh, and that goes back to this, you know, putting putting all of you aside um, to, to, to take care of everybody else. Um, I stopped nurturing the things that were taking care of me. And I that, that all started to reveal itself over the course of that weekend to me. And, and uh, it was classic. I was, I was called on to do an activity where I was to speak about the things that I really wanted as if they had already happened. And I couldn't, I refused to do it. I refused to let the words come out of my mouth because my brain was telling me, who are you to think that you could have any of those things? And I refused, like it paralyzed me. And I stood there with a partner who was trying so hard to help me and, and, and shut down completely. And the amazing thing, and I don't know if I ever told you this story, was 20 minutes after that exercise was complete, I lost my voice. I had laryngitis. Oh my goodness. Laryngitis. And, and I wasn't sick and I wasn't screaming and I didn't have a cold and I didn't have allergies and I was perfectly normal 20 minutes before. But I, 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 I shut down. I refused to speak the things that were important to me out of fear and all, all this other stuff. Um, and, and it was not lost on me. Like I started to feel my, my nodes swelling my larynx, you know, all of it. All of a sudden, I, I couldn't talk, and I could not talk for the rest of the weekend. I had laryngitis. Oh my and, and, I, and, and that message was so clear to me. If you're not going to use your voice 
we can take it away. That's fine. You know? And um, so I, I really walked away from that weekend. People around me also encouraging me, like, you you need to use your voice, not not just to speak up, but to, to reconnect with that part of you, you know, that singing. And, and so I made a commitment to carve time out every single day to make music, whether it was uh, 10 minutes in the shower, whether it was sitting at my piano or picking up my, my guitar, which I hadn't touched for over 10 years. And, um, and, and, and I would put it on my to-do list every single day. And as long as it was on my to-do list, I, I would actually do it. And so I started to do that again. And, and, and the result of that was actually kind of remarkable because it just started connecting me to myself again. Do you know, like there's something yes. about, yeah, oh my there's, God, something, yes. there's something about singing, especially that I can't sing and not be connected to some part of me, you know? So I, I started really being connected to myself and I started really realizing what the things were around me that needed changing or that, that I wanted to do or that, you know, and, and I remember, um, I picked up the guitar and, I, and I, I sang and I recorded a song that I hadn't sung in years. And I sent it to a friend who was like, wow, that, that was actually really good. And then I sent another one. And he was like, oh, that was really good. And, and he said, you know, I, I would like to challenge you to, to share this with other people. And I'm like, oh, heck no. Nobody needs to hear what's going on in my living room. And um, he was like, no, I, I think this would be a good exercise for you and i'm like no really fuck no really no and <laughs> um and he's like and, and and his challenge to me was but what if sharing this is going to bring joy to somebody else and i was like who asked you <laughs> <laughs> you know and so i I was like, okay, I can't argue with that, you know? Um, so I, I recorded that first song and I posted it on Facebook for all my friends to see. And the response was completely overwhelming. I had people on there, friends who had known me for 20 years that didn't know that I sang. How could you not know that I sing? Like in my brain, I'm thinking, that's such a big piece of me. How could you not? And then I realized because I haven't been doing it, you know, so. Out of state, out of mind. Right. And so I, I started, I started doing it, posting every week, every other week, a new song. And, and it really made me start learning stuff. And then from, from posting, you know, videos to going live, that was a whole new thing because that scared the crap out of me. And, and then, um, uh, and then, um, and then I went to this, so that was in September of 2017. So now fast forward to June of 2018, and not too much time has passed. I walk out of that weekend, and don't even ask me why, um, the universe is funny. Um, I walk out of that weekend with the message that I actually need to go out in public now and, and do this in public. And, you know, the, the, the venue for that sort of thing would be an open mic. Well, as a classically trained musician, 
you know, I had all sorts of ideas and preconceptions <clears throat> about what open mics were and the kinds of people who would be there. And, you know, did I really want to associate myself? Like I had all these narratives made up about this. Okay. And, but I also made the mistake of telling my coach this, Hey coach. So I walked out of this weekend thinking I, I need to do three open mics. And he says, great. I want you to pick three dates and send them to me. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and all of a sudden shit just got real. <laughs> right. Accountability. What the holy heck. And, and so, um, and, and the reason for going out in public was, and again, it was an exercise in personal development. Can I, get up in front of a room of who knows who and no matter what happens, no matter what comes out of me and no matter what they think, can I be okay with being seen and being heard? That's all it was. Nobody has to like it. I don't have to like it. They don't have to like it. Are you okay with just being in front of people and being seen and being heard? And I tell you that first open mic, uh, I think Audra is on here watching. She she yes, was on she the is. receiving she was on the receiving end of of my phone call in total panic on my way to that open mic, where I literally thought I was going to die. Like I thought I was going to die, and obviously I didn't. Um, and and so I, I I started. I made a commitment to do it three times, and after the third time, I was like, I think there's still something I, I need to learn. You know, I think there's something that I, I need to learn. And um, so I'm going to keep going until I, I learn whatever it is I need to learn. And, um, and and so I did. I kept going. And along the way, I met and made amazing friends. Uh, I, I connected with other amazing musicians. Uh, people who were already close to me saw sort of my journey and said, hey, I... I can I come along for the ride? And and so I now, you know, people pay me to go out and and, and do this, which is which is pretty cool. Elo, I just saw part of your comment. Um, Trista was talking, and I don't remember when it was, but but it, Trista definitely was suggesting she wanted to create a venue um, that was like a like a coffee house kind of venue or 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 something with the theater in it. So people like me and other people she knew. Oh my goodness. I remember this. And you, right. You remember that. That was the yes. first, that was the first time. And I thought she was great. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like you're ever going to get me in front, in front of a person, you know? So, so she did plant that seed in my mind, Elo. Um, absolutely. Um, but anyway, so, so here we are um, now I, it was just a little over a year ago that I had my first paid gig, um, and it's fu it's fun. Like it's it's just the, the the journey from even then to now is crazy too. Um, what I what I think I'm capable of, what I believe I'm capable of. Um, when I first started, I I didn't really feel like I belonged in this scene at all. I have excuses for every step of the way, Rich. I literally, I have excuses for every step of the way. You know, I, I finally, someone wants to pay me to do the job and I'm like, oh no, I can't do this job. I'm going to suck at this job. Like, do you know what I mean? Like at every step of the way, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, 
part of my brain says, oh, you need to be doing more popular covers. And then the other part of my brain goes, no, but you don't sound good doing that kind of stuff. That's not the kind of music you like to do. There's always this push and pull and, and like finding finding my place in the in the scene. Um, I, and I still struggle with that. But in the meantime, so like I wrote a song here, I wrote a song there. And, you know, they were okay. They were good. They were, you know, whatever. But actually it's when this whole shutdown happened lockdown of the country that that I think I wrote five songs um from March to yeah. May yeah um kind of crazy how that happened and each one less censored than the one before yeah it feels like and obviously you know I'm not you know a songwriter by any stretch but it feels like yeah when you're creating one thing even if it doesn't feel like it's the thing leads to just one step leads to another step, which leads to another step. And I know I felt that with a lot of, you know, what's going on here. I mean, when everything shut down in March, I had no idea I was going to be doing any of this. It just kind of, you know, fell together. I'd played around a little bit and I kind of enjoyed doing it and I visualized it. And here we are. And I was kind of remembering, I was, you know, you know, story kind of going back to you, you know, and it hit home when you were talking about you as a little kid, you know, singing into your, you know, into singing your recordings. And for me, when I was about four or five years old, which is about as far as my memory goes consistently, there were two things I was doing. I was writing stories and I was talking into a microphone. I was chasing people around the house with a microphone because I had, you know, you know, my parents actually had friends that were in radio. Mm. And, you know, they like each had, you know, from like there's like two stations in town and they happened to like know people from each one. And so we ended up getting to go to like all these different, you know, cookouts and events and all that. And I just found myself really just, you know, having fun with it and, you know, you know, talking into it. And then, you know, obviously later on, you're kind of like, you know, people are like, why don't you go throw a football around, son? Or, you know, and then it kind of, you know, it left for a while. And then I, you know, kind of rekindled um, the, you know, the voice aspect of it in college, I was you know, sitting in with a buddy who did college radio once in a while. And I remembered how much I enjoyed it. And I ended up, you know, you know, a couple of friends drove me up to Boston to audition for a broadcasting school up there. Wow. They offered me a scholarship. Nice. And it ended up not, you know, ended up not working out because of, you know, different things out of my control, but it was kind of like, it kind of, followed around and then, but I never really got to go after it. And then all of a sudden, you know, here I am you now sitting here on a Sunday afternoon, talking into a microphone and doing a show and, you know, people are Love watching it. and listening and others will on the podcast. And for those who are um, listening on the replays and on the podcast, this is the Beacon Road show. And my guest is singer songwriter, Eliza Rush. Um, her website is Eliza Rush Music, and on social media, just type in Eliza Rush Music, and you will find her, and you will thank me later. 
Do you know what's so interesting? Like, um, it's hard to <clears throat> promote yourself without product, right? It's like, mm -hmm. especially in this industry. And, and uh, you know, first question everyone asks is, do you have any originals? Do you have any originals? I'm like, no, no, I can't write, I can't write. And, and um, for at least eight or nine months, I was planning to, to, to take my musicians into the studio and <clears throat> record essentially like a demo of covers, you know, and, and, and the studio owner, he asked me right off the bat, he goes, what is your intention for, for recording? Are you, are you trying to get gigs? Or are you trying to get noticed? Well, me, I'm like, no, oh, no, I don't want to be noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't notice me. It would be nice to get some gigs. You know, it's, it's hard to, you know, knock on somebody's room and be like, hi, can you hire me to play? And they're like, what do you sound like? You know? So this plan to take my guys into the studio um, was just never coming to fruition. I kept meeting with the studio owner and we kept making plans. And, 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 and as late as February, we were literally narrowing down dates in April to bring everyone in there. Okay. So we, I was just waiting on my bass player. He, he was the one. He plays in two other bands and, and I was waiting for Josh to tell me when, when we could do this, when the whole country got locked down. Oh, yes. So let's put all that aside. And, and so for a while, it was actually really hard to find the motivation to even sit down and make music. Like it was so hard to not be with my people or not go out and, and, and engage with other musicians and just jam or whatever. Like it was really lonely and depressing and sad. And what's the point of making music anymore when we can't like share that? and and then all of a sudden I, I started writing and, and writing like good shit, man. Like, <laughs> yes. And, and all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden I, I don't need to go in the studio and record a demo of covers. I can go in the studio and record an album of originals, you know? And, and, and I just like, like three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I don't know the timeline anymore, not too long ago, I reached out to, to, to Wayne Becker, Westwire's recording here in, in Allentown, PA. I said, hey, Wayne, I, I'm still coming in. We're still going to do this. I said, but the project has completely changed. I want to record all originals. He was like, wow, cool. Let's set up a time to meet. And we set up a meeting two weeks from that. And then I sat there and went, how the hell are you going to record an album of originals? Like, where's that money going to come from? You know, recording a demo is a little bit different than recording an album. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know, but I, I just know that I need to go to this meeting. And the week of the meeting, my sister emailed me or what's what's at me out of the blue. And she's like, Hey, Liza, um, I have that money for you. I'm like, what money for me? She's like, I have that money for you from the sale of mom's house, which was like eight years ago. And and, and when that was a whole debacle, that was a family debacle. You know those, right? Family debacles. Yep. And, and I never thought that I would ever see that money. I'd actually totally forgotten about it. The week of my meeting with the studio owner, she calls me and she says, I have this money for you. How is the best way to transfer it to you? Because she's in Canada. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, there is my album. There is my album. I don't have a job in September, thanks to, 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 to COVID. You know, all my gigs have been canceled. I have no income. Um, 
And my, my sister just called me to say, she's got this money for me. And what am I doing? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make it, make a record. Cause you know what, Rich, all my other excuses, there's no excuses left anymore for not doing this. Right. All the excuses have gone away. It's not time. It's not schedule. It's not, it's not cause I don't have originals. Like here we, here it is like universe, like just, I fight universe man as hard as I can. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm a little stubborn that way. But I mean, here it is in my face. You're going to go and you're going to do this. And I actually, I went in a week ago and we started uh, pre-production um, on, on some of the tracks and uh, it's making my head explode in a good way. Yeah. It's crazy how that stuff happens. I, I've had, you know, couple experiences of that myself um, right before um, everything happened with COVID. I was trying to plan out and, you know, trying to figure out my next steps. And this is when I was starting to get an idea with, um, you know, you know, doing things like a show and, you know, starting to do other work. And I kind of tried to process it out and I figured, all right, it's going to be this X amount of money. And all right, I don't know how I'm going to make it work. So I'll do something. I don't know. I'll try some kind of a, now, I'll try a fundraiser or something like that. And then, like, three days after the fundraiser started, then COVID hit. And I'm like, and I'm seeing people doing fundraisers for, like, their rent and groceries. And I'm just like, I, you know, I couldn't in good conscience be like, hey, yeah, um, yeah, don't don't give them groceries. Just um, follow my dream. And, you know. So I, you know, I pulled it back and I ended up making enough to, you know, cover some subscriptions for like my website and things like that. But I kind of kept doing work with, you know, with the equipment I had. So for a while it was like, you know, creativity off of my phone or doing all this other crazy stuff, but it ended up falling into place, you know, six weeks later, the amount that, you know, I was going to set up it you know, landed in another, you know, from an entirely unexpected direction. And, you know, and it's really like all these different things just fell into place. And it's crazy. Like, if you just kind of, you know, you just kind of just go and, you know, take steps, things just like literally open up for you. It's, you know, it's really true. Even if you can't possibly see how with the information you have in the moment it's it, crazy like i've really adopted a couple of sort of mindsets and 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 one of them is when i have the overwhelming urge to say no i take a deep breath and i say yes um and i have learned to step back and um stop trying to see 10 steps ahead you know, like that used to be, if I can't see 10 steps ahead, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not doing this. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I have to have control over every, every single little thing. And I've learned to sort of release that control and, and, and be okay with where, where I'm going, wherever that is, because I trust it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. So. Um, yeah. And it's natural that, you know, most, most of us, that's how we operate. We need to see what those next, we, yeah, we have an expectation and, you know, if we can't see how it lands, you know, we, you know, 
know, that, you know, that ego, that fight or flight kicks in and we just freak the hell out. Yeah. And it's once you get past the freak out and you kind of just stay in it, stay in that, you know, stay in the room. And all of a sudden you just, you know, it finds you. It, it, really it does. does. And you know what? Being present, being present to the moment, the moment. It doesn't matter the outcome. Not being attached to an outcome, but being present to the moment, being right here, it has changed everything. And and the, the second piece of that, which has been huge for me, is being open to receive what is coming to me. Right? Because everything I believe, everything I want is available to me. But I have to be open to receive it. It may not look like I think it should. It may not come the way I think it should. You know, but if I am totally blocked off to receiving, and I sure was for a really long time, then I, I can't reap any of that. You know, I have to believe that, that like, it goes back to that workshop where, where I refused to speak what I wanted because I didn't believe I deserved to even speak those things. You know, I can want things, I can express those things, and I can be open to receive whatever comes to, to me. And that has that's changed everything. That, that things all of a sudden they're in front of me that I never imagined would be in front of me because I'm open to receive them. It's pretty cool. Amen to that. Right? Do you want to unpack your brush box and your combs? Okay. Sorry. <clears throat> I have help. For what? I have, I have help for the next time I sing for you. <clears throat> nice. Yes. And you know, Audra is putting a spot on that openness to receiving. It's really, it's really hard sometimes. And, you know, speaking for myself, you know, I was wired that I had to scrape and claw and fight for everything that I had. And whatever I ended up with, I was to be happy with. And... Right. I've found, you know, in practice, I find that the more I scrap and the more I fight, the more things fight back. Yes. The more things go wrong, the more... Because you're not you know, receiving, you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I do that, that's when, you know, oh, there's this loophole where you can't, you know, where things can't happen or this weird right turn happens with that, you know, that sure thing all of a sudden disappears. But then when I just kind of, just kind of take steps and let go and just kind of trust my shit, like things just fall into place. Even if I couldn't possibly, you know, if it's a way I couldn't possibly see. Well, that's the best. Those are the best, right? Like there, yeah. A lot of times, there is no path from here to what I want. There is no path. There's only trust that I'm going to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I have to believe that 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 is available to me and be ready for it, however it comes. And it's, yeah. that's, a, that's such a game changer. It really is. Oh, it absolutely is. And, you know, Again, Audra nails it. We learn we don't deserve it unless we suffer terribly for it. And, you know, it goes back to that whole, you know, it's that Puritan mentality. And, 
you know, if you're not miserable, you're not living. If you're not in fear of imminent doom, then you're doing it wrong. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I've reset, you know, I've got family to kind of, you know, descends from that. And, you know, there's that, you know, a lot of that mindset is there of, you know, you're not, you know, you, you've got to suffer. You've got to be miserable. You've got to, you've got to struggle. And. Martyr. Yeah. And so much of the time, you know, you're too busy trying to, you know, fight with invisible ninjas that you don't see <laughs> like the, you know, like the golden rings are like right in front of you, like shining, but you're missing them because you're like, Come on, Ninja. Come on. Come on. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. It's so true. So true. I, I much prefer living this way than I, than I am right now. Way prefer it. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Same here. It's, you know, it, yeah, it's you know, not a guarantee that things aren't going to go, but you kind of learn that, you know, you kind of take the hit and you know that there's something that comes behind the hit. It's not, you know, each step isn't the end. It's just like, you're just kind of like on a big bus. Yeah. Hey, you and I have a history too. That goes before you being a roadie for me. It involves the Pacific ocean. Yes. You know, let's, you know what? I kind of want to tell that whole LA story. Uh, why? Yeah. While the, you know, you're getting everything together because there was a whole, you know, series of events that like LA should never have happened. That should never have like logistically happened on my end. Okay. Um, you know, I, you know, I ended up not, you know, I, the first time in September, I didn't, you know, go out there. I ended up, um, you know, basically I didn't, you know, look for it because, you know, you know, the event was coming to Massachusetts the next week. So I'm like, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, you know, you're, you're coming to me. You might as well stay. Right. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you start hearing about, you know, this event at the Dolby theater. And I'm like, I'm going to go to that. What do you mean? You're going to go to that. You've never been any further than Georgia. Um, you're, you know, you, you know, you have to like take a gazillion hours of overtime just to get to, you know, the, you know, have like a little extra spending money. How are you going to pull off LA? So, of course, what's the most unlogical thing I can do? I, I bought a ticket to the event. Right, of course. So, you know, with no, and it gets to like, I'm getting to like April, and I still have no plan as far as like how I'm going to get out there, how I'm going to, where I'm going to stay, like, where, where's all this going to come from? And then all of a sudden in the mail, it was like right around the anniversary of my mom's passing. And I get this check and it's from this, this old retirement account that I had from like a job I'd had 20 years before that. I had just kind of like let it die and they cashed it out. And it was like this, like, it was a pretty decent chunk of money. And I'm, but I was like, all right. I don't know if it's enough to pull everything off, but let's take a look. And I'm sitting at work one Saturday morning, you know, nothing's happening. I start looking at flights 
And, you know, I'm starting looking from like Providence to LA and everything's just like this crazy, like five steps. And I'm like, ah, this doesn't look promising. And then all of a sudden, like, Gus says, let's check Boston. And then I found this brown trip, like Boston to LAX, single shot, no connecting flights, 500 for the round trip. Like, what? What? I, I think that is exactly what I said. And I'm like, I'm going to jump on this right now before somebody realizes this, this is a typo. So I, I just bought the flight. I'm like, all right, now I got to figure out where I'm going to stay. Right. And then I find this Airbnb. Like, literally, like, a block away. Not even a block. It was, like, across the street from the Dolby. Yeah. And I paid, like, 50 bucks a night. So I'm like, stop. Like, all right, was then. It, was it, like, the hostel one? Like, with the multi- Yeah. And yeah. it was still, it was, like, right, like, literally, like, right there. And, like, I could just, like, get up and, like, cut across a parking lot. And I was there. I remember seeing the... Because I was looking for Airbnbs there too. I remember seeing that one. Yeah. And it was crazy. I ended up like, you know, there was a few people that I, you know, I had known. And then I ended up like making like all kinds of friends in the, you know, like I met a musician from Atlanta and, you know, all these other people. And it was just this great experience. And now we got to get to the Pacific Ocean. Yes. After the event. After the event. After the event, so um, it was post-event, and and several of us decided to stick around for that extra day to sort of decompress um, after the event before re-entering the world. Yes. And we um, we went to Venice Beach, and um, my friend Dave knew guys down there at the beach who taught surfing lessons. And surfing was certainly not on my bucket list. It was not something I would nope. ever consider. Like, I mean, I can barely stand up in the water, like let alone on a surfboard. So, um, but I was in this place in my mind of, well, wh- when will you have this opportunity again? You know, this opportunity is here. Um, no, you didn't go looking for it, but it's right here. So, oh my God, I have to try this. I'd be stupid not to. You know, and um, I went around like asking everyone on the beach in our group, uh, are you going to are you going to come? Because they offered a lesson, the wetsuit, the equipment, like everything. And it was really cheap. It was less than 100 bucks. Yeah. Right. Um, and and everyone was like, no, no, no. And I'm like, ah, my brain was like, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this by myself, you know, and and. I was like, I kept trying, kept trying. And, and um, Dave finally said, he goes, you want me to go? I'll go. I'll go with you. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then he came to you. He was the one who cornered you and, and was like, okay, Richie, come on. Like, come on. And the thing is, when it comes to that, like, I was in a similar, like, for me, swimming, like, I love being by the ocean. Yeah. I don't like, like, for me, swimming is a thing I do to not die. That's pretty much that. That's just kind of how it goes. But all of a sudden, like, and if you asked me, even if you asked me now, if like, want to go surfing? Mm, no, I'm good. But in that moment, there was just something about 
that. Like, Dave comes up to me. He's just like, yeah, let's just go surf it. And I'm just like, yeah, let's go. And, you know, I get out there and, like, I'm botching the freaking, like, all of a sudden, that's when the ego started kicking in. When I was, more, like, doing the lesson on the, on the sand. And I could not get this. Like, I couldn't get the steps right to sit, like, to save my life. It just, like, and I was just getting so aggravated. And I'm just like, all right, let's go. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> you were aggravated. See, the sand for me was, like, easy. Like, that was, like, I was, like, okay. Because it was all, like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. You know, it was all, and and, and he, he would call out each one. One, two, three. You know, we knew what the positions were. He would call them out. What I discovered when we got into the water was he yelled, go. And that meant do the entire sequence with, with no, you know, I, I was waiting for the next instruction. No, go, go, go. Shit, what am I supposed to do? Like, do you know what I mean? My brain was like, and 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 there's something about, you know, being on the sand and, and the earth not moving. And then suddenly being on the water and everything moving, you know. And, and I, I remember... Um, She's making noise over there, Mike. <laughs> um, I remember um, the our little instructor. I can't remember his name to, to save my life. He was just some twenty-two something year old Swiss boy with long curly blonde hair. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all that matters at this point because I can't right? remember his name yeah. either. Yeah. Um, and I, he looked at me and he goes, he goes, you you're you're not seeming as confident out here on the water. Like you're not you're not. Like, what's going on? You're seeming like a little, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean? I'm on the fucking water. Of course I'm not as confident. Like, you know, this is like everything's like moving under me. I can't like keep my balance. And and uh, he was cheering me on and Dave was cheering me on and you were cheering me. It was all like this. You got this. You got this. You got this. And next thing you know, I'm like riding waves in in like two feet of water. But that doesn't matter because. <laughs> it was more than two feet of water. What's that? It was more than two feet of water. Are, are you sure? Yeah, it was probably about, but yeah, when we were catching the wave, yeah, because I knew because the first time I took a digger, I would it was well over my head. I mean, not exactly, not that I'm like the jolly green giant by any stretch, but it was easily <laughs> six feet because I knew I was definitely well under. Okay, but but the crazy thing I know when I was going, I went into you know anybody that catches this later, like before I started doing all this stuff, I was a nine one one operator for years and. You know, when you know things just kind of go to hell around you, you don't have time to think. You just go, and you just do stuff. And it doesn't turn into like step, 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 step. It just happens. And I think that's what worked to my advantage once we got out to the water. I didn't have to, you know, when I'm on the sand, I, you know, I, you know, I had the opportunity to overthink and drive myself nuts. Yeah. Thinking stopped being an option. I didn't have time for it, so it was just bam, 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 and then up I went. And then I'm like, you know, the first time it was a disaster. The second time I made it a good way, and then the third, like the third and the fourth time, I, you know, I nailed it, and I was just like, whoa! <laughs> it was so fun. It was. It was so. I'll never forget Dave standing in the water screaming at me. You got this. You can do this. You will, you know. And I'm like, okay, I have no choice. Here we go. Let's go. You know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Okay, like you know. Um, but but this is what I remember. 
so well. I remember walking back to the parking lot with the boards, you know, and, and I looked over at Dave and I said, you know, I think that instructor went easy on me. I think he gave me the easy <laughs> waves. Like I literally said that, you know, because, this. <laughs> because our, our, remember like, like we would walk out, right? And then mm -hmm. we would turn around and face the shore and the instructor would hold the board until the, until the right, the right wave came at the right time. And then he would start the momentum and then tell us when to, 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 to push up and, and start that sequence. Right. So yeah. we, I, I never saw the waves behind me. I only saw the shore in front of me ever. So I didn't see how big the waves were that I was on or not on, you know? And so I said to Dave, I said, you know, I, I think, I think he, he just went easy on me and he gave me the, the nice waves and Dave stopped and he looked at me like he does. And he goes, Eliza, it's the fucking Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and then he turned around and he started walking again. And I was like, oh, right. But again, trying to diminish that accomplishment, you know, like, like he's like, you just surfed in the Pacific Ocean. And you know, it was like, it was only in the last week, Rich, that the anniversary of that was. Yeah. All those memories came up on Facebook. It was like, oh, we were we're surfers now. <laughs> yeah, I remember that because I was I it popped up in my memories, and you know, I was kind of having a I was kind of sluggish that day. It was kind of you know, it just wasn't you know, things just kind of fell off. I wasn't feeling it, and then all of a sudden, like that pops up in my I'm like, oh yeah. That, that happened. Is so good. That picture of you um, is so, so good. That was such a great, great afternoon. That was epic. That was. It was epic seeing you on the surfboard, watching you. And and that was just, that was fabulous. So. And it was so funny because, like, you know, that picture would pop up. And then, you know, from back home, be like, what? <laughs> you did what? You did what? Yep. I'm serving Venice Beach, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's often. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. So, um, I got an idea. So while I'm um, getting the rest of the percussion set up, uh, we can do this a little bit different. I can kind of do the um, rapid fire questions and then okay. we'll play it out with your songs. Um, these are not bad. These are, you know, kind of whatever comes up to your mind. Um, you know, the is idea is <laughs> only you would be able to tell me that. But, you know, the concept is blatantly stolen from, you know, James Lipton, Lewis Howes, you know, the, the, but the questions are a little bit different. Um, if you could jump into a time machine and experience one event in person, what would it be? Okay, I'm sorry, my, my phone just glitched on me. Can you ask that question again? Sure. If you could jump into a time machine, doesn't matter what. It could be the, you know, the TARDIS, or the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Um, anyway, but experience an event. What would the event be? Going back in time? Yeah. Um, I would actually... Uh, 
my mother grew up in war-torn Hungary. Um, and, and there's a piece of me that wants to see what that was, crazy as that seems. Stalin and, and, and all that shitty stuff, but I, I would... That's not crazy. It's, you know, yeah. it's an understanding of, you know, it you know, kind of helps you understand a lot of, you know, you know, her upbringing and understand a lot of, you know, a lot of her why and a lot of, you know, the why, you know, going back in the family. It makes perfect sense. What's the one thing that if you go without it completely takes your day and throws it off track? If I go without it, mm -hmm. if I go without eating. That's a good one. You know, mine's mine's coffee. If I don't have coffee for first thing in the morning, it you know it, it it's not pretty. I I will ignore the eating sometimes, and I'll be at the end of the day and be like, "Ooh, that was not really a good idea. I should have eaten something." I get busy. Um, a drive-through that's still hard to pass up. It could be um a beverage place, a coffee place, fast food. Dunkin' Donuts. I love their iced coffee. Oh my gosh. But they have to, and I have to specifically request um, granulated sugar in it because in the iced coffee, they use the liquid sugar and I hate the taste of liquid sugar. And the only reason I like iced coffee is because I like the crunchy bits of sugar on the bottom. And that's that's why they don't put that sugar in iced coffee because it doesn't dissolve. That's why they use liquid sugar, but I hate right. it. So I, I, and can I have a you know medium iced decaf coffee, please, with cream and granulate granulated sugar? Yes, granulated sugar please. Oh man, that's funny. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, being around here, I'm used to Dunkin' Donuts. Uh -huh. But when I was travel, I you know was traveling over the course of the summer, and I had gotten to, I think I was in Wisconsin at this point, and I found a Dunkin' right off of the interstate. And I had asked for, you know, extra cream, no sugar, like I usually get it. And the girl looks at me like I have three heads. What the hell is extra cream? Uh, do you want three pumps, four pumps, five pumps? I'm like, how do you not? I, I did not realize that was, I was, a, I guess that's a Northeast thing. I, you know, I was with someone once who ordered at a Dunkin' um, half cream. So he was asking for half the amount of cream that is normally put in. They literally gave him a cup half filled with cream and half coffee. <laughs> oh, man. He did say half cream, so, you know. Yeah, that was I don't think I've ever heard anybody, you know, obviously you get, like, extra, extra. Yeah, you double, get double that. Double, double in Canada. Thank you. Double, double. double. I would say double, double at Tim's, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. That's just I how you so order coffee in Canada. Double, double. Double cream, double sugar. Oh, man. <laughs> um, um, it could be any era, but the sitcom family you would most want to be adopted by. Oh, my gosh. The sitcom family. It's been so long since I've watched a sitcom, Rich. Um. The Partridge Family. I could totally see how that would work. <laughs> Does that count as a 
sitcom. Was that a sitcom? It is, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I, that is, that is, I totally forgot. That would be like a perfect fit for you. Right? You could like sing with David Cassidy. Oh my God. Be still my heart. <laughs> <laughs> what brings joy? Uh, music. What and, brings and 